What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. The magic of throwing one's voice isn't magic. It's a skill. A skill that takes years to develop, which doesn't include the time to then rise through the rankings of ventriloquist comedy stylings. You see, it takes a long time to end up on top. To be the focus of sold-out shows, applause, and citywide accolades. Unless you're Edgar Van Horn, who does it almost instantly. Inside this episode, we learn about how he and Oscar, his tuxedo-clad dummy, and their meteoric rise to greatness, and the why, which will shock and amaze you, just like it did us. It's showtime. It's time to pay the piper. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 2, Episode 8. Read my lips. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. The five-week video challenge. Nick, I've been on a mission to create video content for specifically the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, all of which can be viewed by all of you right now by going over to the YouTube channel, which will be linked up inside of the show notes for this episode. You'll be able to see a couple of podcast-specific episodes that I've completed, but then also this week's episode that focuses on the recently released Terminator Dark Fate and the entire Terminator series, which I have proudly reviewed with other people across the now span of over a decade that I want all of you to go check out now. Remember, you can do that by checking out the show notes for this episode at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. I think you'll get a kick out of what we're making there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, And as always, it's another skill set that's being polished with the crafting of videos. Check them out again over via the link at our website at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Ah, the retell of another grand episode of Friday the 13th, the series. It's time to pay the storytelling piper. A comedy club rolls with a new act on stage. People are laughing left and right at two different voices. 
A man is trying to get in the front door and whoops, it's all sold out. You'll have to return tomorrow, says the Mater D with a curious glaze in his eyes. On stage, a ventriloquist is pulling off gold while somehow drinking water at the same time. It's amazing. It's truly remarkable. It's the skill set of one Edgar Van Horn. The man who tried to get in up front sidesteps the Mater D and heads for the back door. Back on stage, the dummy begins spitting some sick rhymes into the microphone, and now the show is over. People clap left and right. Accolades rain in from every corner for Edgar Van Horn and his dummy, Oscar. Woot! How is it that the dummy can be talking at the same time as the ventriloquist who wields him? Hmm, perhaps a cursed antique object? We'll find out later inside this episode. The man who was snuck in the back congratulates Van Horn, who then instantly closes the door in his face unceremoniously. A beautiful young lady named Gabrielle heads back to see Van Horn and Oscar, who seems to be talking on his own. Unfortunately, Gabrielle is running out of patience and decides to leave. A quick, warm embrace and soft kiss from Van Horn, and then the door in the dressing room closes. And now, it's time to pay the piper. Van Horn takes a brief swig of alcohol as we snap pan to the club being sorted by the Mater D. Mr. Van Horn, is that you? Says the club Mater D. He continues to investigate, and now it's showtime! as an incredibly sharp knife plunges into the Mater D's torso over and over again. The only thing harder than getting to the top is staying there, says Oscar the Dummy without any help from Van Horn. Over at the Curious Good Shop, Jack is apparently not going to be inside this episode because, hey, he's in Florida. Ryan's got his face in the ledger, and Mickey's gotten a wedding invite from some lady that she hardly remembers. But hey, it's time to be the maid of honor inside of the wedding. Amazing! It just so happens, Mike, that the person who wants her to be a part of her wedding is Gabrielle. Wow, what a coincidence. In front of a mirror, the man that previously snuck in the back door at the comedy club is practicing his own craft. And hey, wow, it's rough. That's being kind, Mike. Fast forward to another evening at the club with Van Horn and Oscar. They're visiting with showgoers, and hey, it's Mickey. And the lady that is her best friend from forever ago that she hardly remembers, it's Van Horn's sweetheart, Gabrielle. The act is sour and ends abruptly as Van Horn covers Oscar's wooden maw to shut him up. He exits to applause and finds Travis Plunkett. You know, the guy that snuck in the back door before. He wants to audition for Van Horn in person right now. Unfortunately, Van Horn isn't interested. Oscar, on the other hand, super interested. Back inside the comedy club, Mickey is talking to Gabrielle, trying to understand why she's being treated so poorly by Van Horn. But, you see, it's not Edgar. It's Oscar that's the problem, Gabrielle says. They choose to go backstage to meet Van Horn. Another very pointed Oscar-led conversation showcases just how terrible, quote, paradise is here. Man, get out of my face, you dizzy dame. Oscar then ushers out Plunkett and Mickey, and Gabrielle can't understand why the dummy is treated with such distinction. 
Is it time to cancel the wedding, she says. She encourages Van Horn to go get some help and to excise Oscar from their lives. Back at the Curious Good Shop, Ryan is checking out old Nazi photos. Oh, it's so interesting. It's all part of the side plot, Mike. A very interesting side plot. Mickey arrives and shares the story of Oscar and the split personality Van Horde slash Oscar experience at the club. Mickey and Ryan continue on to find news about a recently 16-piece dead body that was recently found in a dumpster. Very interesting. Now, back to the Nazi photos. Snap to a discussion with Van Horn and his agent. You see, it's time to pack it in. No problem. Finish out the club date and then we'll see what's next. Gabrielle obviously is gleeful, especially after Oscar has been put into his case. Well, out here, you sons of bitches, I can't breathe. Inside Van Horn's first therapy session, the doctor insists that it's time to meet Oscar. Oscar is again incredibly pointed, and the doctor insists that he be put outside the room immediately. Van Horn returns to the couch, and she tells him that Oscar is apparently becoming a fixation, a defense mechanism to escape the world. You see, he uses him to shield himself from others and input from around him. And as she's saying these words, she doesn't realize that Van Horn is circling behind her. He pulls out a knife and begins to stab her. No, wait, he doesn't do that because apparently that's not in the script. You know what? It's time to schedule a month's worth of sessions about all of it. The doctor narrowly escapes a daggered peril and doesn't have to pay the piper. Wanting to soothe his investigatorial thirst, Ryan investigates the bloody trash dumpster outside the club. Ooh, it's so bloody. Ooh, it's so dirty in a dumpster. Amazing. But at least there was police tape next to it. Thank God for leftover police tape and bloody evidence. It was a crime scene, and they evidently just didn't want to bring that particular trash can along. You know, leave it for sanitation. Very convenient. Ryan heads back to talk about it all with Mickey, who shares that Oscar and Van Horn have now had a parting of the ways, and it's time for Van Horn's bachelor party. And something even more amazing happens when Ryan is told that he's been invited to the bachelor party as well, having not met anybody associated with it at all. <laughs> Ryan finds Van Horn and hopes to meet the wooden dummy, Oscar, who continues to call from inside the case. Why let me out of here? Come on! I want to see the strippers too! Van Horn's agent, who is also attending the bachelor party, shares with Ryan, for no particular reason except that he happens to also be there, that Van Horn's demeanor has changed drastically recently, and now it's time for Van Horn to unleash Oscar. Oscar continues his pointed and terribly raunchy dialogue inside the nightclub. It earns him a visit back to the case. But not before Oscar bites Van Horn! Nom, 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 nom. Ryan witnesses the damage and is shocked. <gasps> Meanwhile, back at Travis's house, his phone rings and, hey, it's Oscar? Oscar's confirming an invite to the wedding that's coming up that's been sent to Travis, who confirms that he will be there. Everybody's getting invited to this wedding except you and I, Mike. Correctamundo! Ryan shares the entire story with Mickey, and behold, there's no ventriloquist dummy inside the manifest, but... Perhaps a number of interesting killings could bring something to life. Just like in the amazing Nazi research that continues to preoccupy Ryan's attention span inside this episode. 
Told you that the side plot was important, Mike. Side plot with Nazis. Sounds interesting. Let's go. It's time for a wedding. The priest announces to the audience, does anyone inside of this audience have a problem with these two being married? If not, forever hold your peace. And of course, only one person chimes in. I object. She's trying to split up the act. Says Oscar the dummy from the nearby pew. I'll kill ya. You die, you bastard. Van Horn has to be carried from the church and convulses and can't get past the fact that he must kill Oscar the wooden dummy. In a haze of hatred, Van Horn runs from the street and is hit by his own wedding limousine. Is he killed? Will he live on to foster along the relationship with Oscar? The answer is unknown. Inside the church, Travis steps to Oscar, who has apparently found a new place to sit. Stick with me and you'll go places, kid. Apparently, Van Horn isn't dead, only struck and wounded by the car raging towards him. And hey, where's Oscar? No one cares, apparently. And you know what's really funny? Apparently, Van Horn had no one, no accolades, no fame, until he met... Gabrielle. Hmm. The wheels of this episode begin to churn at a faster rate. Could Gabrielle have something to do with a cursed item? Question mark? Oh? Meanwhile, back at the comedy club, the club owner and Van Horn's agent are trying to figure out what they'll do because, you see, now Van Horn's absence, well, it's not good. And in walks Travis with Oscar... Their jokes and banter are amazing and are absolutely the perfect fit for tonight's show. 10 p.m. for the first show tonight. At the show, Oscar and the newcomer Travis are killing it. The show concludes. Travis is excited about his future and he's even more amazed that he has hardly anything to do at all during the act. Really nothing, but you know what? It's time to pay the piper. In the alley, Travis runs into a dude that is a foot taller than Travis. Oscar starts a fight. The giant man accosts Travis. Oscar hands Travis the same knife that we've seen plunge into so many bodies inside this episode, and Travis plunges it into the heart of the giant man, killing him. You wanted to be a star? What can I say? It's a cutthroat business. <laughs> The next day, inside the makeshift hospital, Ryan is allowed to visit with Van Horn, who loves the quiet. It's peaceful and safe. He could stay there for the rest of his life. Ryan is looking for Oscar to prevent him from impacting anyone around him. Ryan digs in deep for more information. Van Horn admits that He started doing things on his own. He made me kill all those people. And he destroyed my life. Van Horn admits. Ryan wonders where Oscar can be found, but Van Horn has finally gone over the deep end and can answer no more. Keep him away from me. I'm in here. Back at the club, where once again Travis and Oscar are killing it. Ryan is telling the agent that it's time to return the dummy back to Van Horn because, you know, he's the rightful owner. The agent strangely agrees with Ryan that he's never met before, except at the strip club. Because they're old friends, you see. We just never heard anything about that because they're old friends, Nick. Right. Sure, why not? 
The agent agrees, and as soon as the show's over, he'll tell Travis that it's time to give Oscar back to Van Horn and find a new dummy. Shortly after the show ends, the agent shares that perhaps Travis should get a new doll-slash-dummy to establish his own brand and a new identity. Suddenly, Oscar has come alive! Rah, see? <laughs> boogie boogie, see? He stabs the agent and then has a full-on conversation with Travis, who's cleaning up the bloody mess. It's time to go to the top with Travis, who is now all in. Killing's the easy part. Comedy's hard. Mickey and Ryan are back at the Curious Goods shop. They're waiting for the agent to arrive, who's supposed to be bringing Oscar. Ryan continues to wonder what they're really up against inside this episode. Ryan chooses finally to break into the comedy club. As he's snooping, he finds... <gasps> blood leaking from a small refrigerator freezer inside of the dressing room. Inside the freezer, he finds <gasps> the head of the agent. Ryan immediately calls Mickey, who all this time has been sorting through the research. You see, Hitler's occult advisors had found a boutonniere, one that was sold to Van Horn that now Oscar is wearing, making him <gasps> alive. Alive! Ryan springs into action and heads back to the Curious Goods shop. Mickey chooses to call Gabrielle to warn her about Oscar and the boutonniere. But the phone lines have been cut. I hate it when the phone lines get cut. Gabrielle can't be called and warned. As Gabrielle's walking through her living room, she sees <gasps> Travis, who's brought Oscar to see Gabrielle. She insists that both of them leave. Oscar suddenly springs to life and says, It's showtime. After Travis has been blinded with hot water, Oscar sees no more use for Travis and stabs him with his special knife and chases after Gabrielle, who missteps and plunges the wrong way down a staircase. Ryan and Mickey arrive inside the middle of the murderous rampage to accost the now-alive wooden dummy Oscar, who is about to stab Ryan. Ryan is lucky enough, however, to grab the boutonniere from Oscar's lapel, who then becomes once again a harmless wooden doll. Back at the Curious Kid shop, after researching the manifest, Mickey and Ryan finally find the boutonniere. The details and the luck that it wasn't found and used by a human. And into the vault the boutonniere goes, and the cursed item for this episode is... Recovered! Each episode of Friday the 13th has goods and bads. It's time to focus on the goods. Billy Drago. Man. It was so great to see him, and my God, so young-looking inside this. Uh, he's, yes. he's always had that brash, young look, regardless of age. Where I remember most from is from The Untouchables, mm -hmm. which is where I think probably everybody will at least remember him from. A lot of people know, know him from his TV work as well. Mm. He was the main bad guy for the short-lived TV series... The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was, was John a great Bly. Show, by the way. Yeah, yeah. There's that was a great there's show. a show that needs to have a resurgence. Yes, I agree with that. He was also in this '80s tongue and cheek campy vampire movie called Vamp, where mm. he was just this this hoodlum, this kind of like this street thug. No who way, had a, really. Who had a gang, <laughs> and they were well, they were more like biker 
punk rocker look type of a type of a get up kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And he played an albino. Mm. So, you know, bleach blonde, white. bleach white hair mm-hmm. and they made him more pale than he normally he is. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. He's uh definitely a, a recognizable face and I was I was surprised to see him and then I was like, Well, why why, why should I be surprised to see him? This is the perfect show to showcase yeah. his talents. Yeah. Well, and I think also the perfect episode. We'll get more into this later on. But the reason I, I put him in here is not just because it was great to see Billy Drago. I thought that he was perfect because his demeanor, especially in the things that I've seen him in, is definitively different than anything Oscar showcases inside of this episode. And so it's a complete opposite. It's it's well, the whole true. Okay. It's the yes. whole it's the whole portrayal of a completely different personality. So much so that he's forced to go and see a therapist inside this episode. That's why I thought it was so good. He's quiet. He's traditionally held back, except in times of extreme strife, where he then. <laughs> The Rope-A-Dope of the Dummy. This was extraordinary. This may have been my favorite piece of not just this episode, but I think this entire series. Because what we're given here is you don't actually know what is cursed. Right. When you see the dummy, you go, oh, okay, well, obviously the dummy's cursed. Yeah, cursed ventriloquist doll. Okay, right. moving on. Then they casually put a shoulder across Gabrielle, and you go, okay, well... Something's not right with her. Does she have something to do with it? Something going on there? Nope. And it isn't until maybe 75% through the episode that we actually get to the crazy Nazi stylings of Ryan's research. Yeah. That Jack had Well, been before that, into. I thought it was a knife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the, it the looked like knife. the same knife they were using to kill people. I was like, oh, okay, well, then it's a cursed knife Dagger, that allows mm-hmm. the dummy to come to life. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. But then it's the, the boutonniere that was used by Hitler's occult advisors to allegedly help bring Hitler back to life. If you wear this, you know, you can't die, you'll be able to be reanimated. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure that that wasn't the case when that happened, but as soon as it became in the property of Louis Vonderdee and became a cursed item, I guess the devil has a sense of humor and said, all right, well, if Hitler and his people believed it, sure, we'll do it too. So this will bring things to life. I'm certain he sounded just like that. Exactly. Pretty that's, sure. That's, yeah, Pretty this, sure. Is a, this is what Satan sounds like. Anyway, it was great. It, it rivals probably just about any little twist-turny thing that I've seen on many a streaming show in the last 10 years. And that's why I thought it was, I, I thought that was one of my favorite pieces of the episode, frankly. I, I like not knowing I, I don't like it when ten, things are telegraphed. Right. I don't mind needing to put things together as a, as something goes by, but I like it even more when I just don't know. Yeah. I well, really and, do like and, that. and there was a simple explanation too. It wasn't convoluted or even right. complicated. Mm-hmm. It's and it was in your face the whole time. Right. Yeah. That's it was the other right piece there. I love about yeah. it. Yeah. If you were to look at the dummy the instant you see him on stage was they start the episode, you would never go, "Oh, well, it must be the boutonniere on his lapel that's cursed." I love that. Mm. I love that it's something right in your face, but you never knew it until the end. The pace. I heart pace. Right. I will give anybody, you give me great pace, and I will show you a show that knows what it's doing, regardless of subject matter, topics, acting, all of it. Mm -hmm. If you can give me decent pace, 
you're 90% of the way to success, in my opinion. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that the pace of this episode was so incredibly well put that I would have liked to have seen more of what we got here. I think being able to space out the party and the visits to the psychiatrist and everything else that you see here, I thought that all of these hallmarks that were showcased here, all of them would have been great inside of a standard format movie, much less just inside of this 43 minutes. Yeah. That's where we ask you guys what you thought was positive inside this episode. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at Curious Goods Podcast. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series has goods and bads. We've covered the goods. Now let's take a look at the not-so-goods. Billy Drago. You sanctimonious son of a bitch. Yep, that's How do we me. put him on this? He He's on this list because, for <laughs> me, with every role that I've seen him do, this is the most out-of-place I've ever seen him. He's a very quiet, calculating jungle cat. Let's his acting style is like that. He's usually playing killers, murderers, rapists, mm-hmm. thieves, bad people. Mm-hmm. Now, in this role, we're supposed to believe that he's a tortured entertainer that has been killing people so that he can continue to be successful with his talking ventriloquist doll. The problem is, is that you take that quiet, subdued internal stuff, and we only get fits of manicness from him during this episode, and they work, but I'm sorry, every entertainer I know, whether they be ventriloquist or not, if they're on stage, they're an outrovert. Backstage, I'm perfectly fine with being an introvert, but as an entertainer... That's that's the that's the drug. I'm in front of an audience. I'm on. He's not on. He's never on. He's he's way too subdued when he's performing with Oscar. Mm. Now, all the quiet times out of the spotlight totally works for me. And I, I, I kind of feel like Billy could have actually pushed himself to play a different type of character here. I don't want to say that he was completely miscast. But there was a missed opportunity for either him to try something different with his acting or the writers to give him maybe a different type of character to play yeah. later on in this show. Yeah. I, I, I kind of look at it this way, and I think I've talked a little bit about it and said the goods when we listed him. The gist is that he was a failure until he came across Oscar. And the reason one would be a failure, not always, but... Almost always, I guess, inside of entertainment, is if you cannot turn it on. And if you can't turn it on, then you cannot be a success. Then give me the patheticness, like Travis. We have Travis Plunkett, who screams pathetic. Mm-hmm. Give me some of that, then. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I, I wasn't dissatisfied with Billy Drago in this episode, mm-hmm. but I kind of wanted something more. Okay. I, I see where you're coming from. I just disagree. That's actually where we ask you guys. Why don't you settle this argument for us? Let us know if Nick was wrong, like usual, and that Billy Drago was great, as opposed to being a miscast opportunity inside of this episode by going over to our website, CuriousGoodPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and be sure to affirm that Nick is wrong. Shut up, <laughs> dummy. 
suspect script scribings. Say that five times fast. <laughs> yeah. This is so great when you recognize this, though, because it's totally accurate. <sighs> For as great of an episode concept that this is, and the fact that it does hit a lot of the great beats that it needs to. Like We talked about the pacing. A bad script can be polished up in the editing where pacing is concerned. <laughs> oh, yes. So I'm going to I'm I'm going to credit the editor yeah. of this episode more than Absolutely. the script writers. Yes, without question. Because there are some just ridiculous concepts <laughs> in this episode. Beyond ridiculous. Right. First of all, let me point out beginning of the episode, Mickey is looking through the mail. Hey, look. Oh, look. I've received a letter from an old friend of mine from college that I haven't talked to in Forever. in years. Yeah. Rip open the letter, da-da-da. Oh, she's getting married and wants me to be her maid of honor. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I Unless they were some sort of bond that can never be broken. I don't know. That expands it's, over the spirits of time. This is also where we're going to have to have... I'm assuming many of our female audience listeners chime in because have you, I, I, I can remember having really good friends in college, but I'm not a woman and I would have never, I, I didn't meet anybody inside of my college years that I would want to have had so deeply as my best man that years after not communicating with them, I would then ask them to be my best man. Right, right. I don't, I don't have. It's usually somebody that's like in that. your life all yeah. the time. That's somebody that's very important to you. Yeah, yeah. I would have understood if she was just invited to the wedding. You know, hey, just come to come to the wedding. It's going to be a small affair because he's a, he's a big celebrity. You want something small. Yeah. So don't even and, do the whole maid of honor yeah. thing. Just invite her to yeah. the wedding. Yeah. That yeah. makes a hell of a lot more sense than, <laughs> oh, I'm also going to get to be the maid of honor. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, okay. also, yeah, and also, by the way, all of the responsibilities that come with that in a, in a wedding that's in a week or right, whatever Right, right. And then I'm going to, later on when you see the wedding, there's barely anybody there. <laughs> right. She was the only one standing up there. So uh, either it was supposed to be a very small affair and keep it, keep it quiet from the press, or Gabrielle only had one friend. <laughs> From from college, from college, and it was Mickey. Okay, so th so there's that. There's there's that wackiness. Yeah. The second one also stems from this whole weddingness. Is Mickey informs Ryan that so Edgar's having a bachelor party tonight, and guess what? Gabrielle says you're invited. Again, I go what? What? Right. You you've never met him before. Edgar sure as hell ain't met him. Mm -hmm. Nobody there will know who the hell Ryan is. I, I think there could have been something a little bit more creative brought up, written, to explain Ryan's presence there. Because you have to have Ryan there to see Oscar bite Edgar and actually leave bite marks. Mm -hmm. he, he has to be there because then that's, oh, something cursed item-esque is afoot. Mm -hmm. Right. You, he's got to be there. But just writing it off as, so because you're my cousin and I'm invited to the wedding, I'm the maid of honor, you get to be a part of the bachelor party? Come on. Yeah. What was funny, too, about that scene, I, I'd have to go back and look. I have to go back and look at the tape. But the uh, <laughs> uh, looking, just remembering it back in my in my memory, the, the bite almost looked like a smiley face because it looked like there were there were two slits on top of the lines that were teeth and so it looked like uh. two eyes and a smiley face i thought that was very interesting anyway the, those those two were the big ones 
the third thing that that makes a little bit of sense but doesn't really impact the story is throughout everything we see Travis he records while he's performing he, right. he records his practice go back so and that, listen to right, see exactly listen to the tape whatever mm-hmm. no problem i understand that and just before the agent is killed we see travis turn on the tape recorder and the whole the whole murder is is recorded on it's right. on tape it's mm-hmm. on tape so when ryan breaks into the club and breaks into the dressing room he looks at the counter sees the tape and and turns it on that conversation is going on again while he's slinking in the dark, right. looking for clues. Because no one will come and look inside the room if they hear a conversation from well, a right. recorder going. And why would you turn a recorder on and then just walk I, away from it? Well, uh, no. And another problem is is that the recording ends with the murder because that's where the scene ended. So they didn't even think to continue having conversation, hearing Travis go, oh, but why did you kill him? Now I don't have an agent, man. No, it just stopped because that's where the commercial break was at. (laughs) Right, right. And then Ryan discovers the head in the freezer. Ah, We could have just left that completely out. Yeah. It would have made things a little bit more creepy because now Ryan is creeping in the dark. Yeah. Is he going to get caught? And if so, will he be murdered by the dummy? Mm-hmm. It, it would have been a hell of a lot better than listening to something that we just saw yeah. not five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah, big dummy. I've been a fan of ventriloquists for a very long time. Actually, there was a point in my young childhood where I thought I, too, could have been a ventriloquist. Mm. I had a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, it came with a little booklet that uh, would help you practice. Mm-hmm. And after about three weeks, I uh, ended up in the toy chest. And was just one of those creepy things that would look at you when you opened the closet. <laughs> <laughs> well, strangely enough, I will also admit that I was not only interested in being a ventriloquist, I took mine to my Cub Scout meetings for a series of about a month. It's just your plus one? Or were you performing? No, I, I was performing. I just took it with me because why not? <laughs> it was a plastic headed dummy with a yellow body and white arms. And I mean, it was stupid looking and it was cheap. <laughs> it was cool and it was fun to play with. Absolutely all right. got me attention. Well, we, we and, and that's what it's all about is getting attention. Right. Unfortunately, Oscar in this episode just. Just, it looked bad. I I did not like the facial design of the puppet. Right. Maybe it had something to do with designing it to look like the actor that would then play Oscar at the end of the episode mm-hmm. when he was, quote unquote, alive. Mm-hmm. But even then, eh, I think. I think we could probably do something a little bit better. I mean, did we did we spend all of our money? on getting that one location of the comedy club <laughs> because the nut house was definitely sparse. It was stark, man. <laughs> it was an empty freaking room. It, it was somebody's attic. Yeah. With and, with a really and, uncomfortable looking hospital bed. It, it wasn't even a hospital bed. It was a gurney. Bed. It wasn't even a gurney. It was the two trays that you get at one a local restaurant attached to like your your nightstand table. 
that was put in place and they just draped his feet over the edge of the table so that you couldn't recognize that it was a table. No, it, it had it wheels. It was terrible. You could see the wheels. It was it terrible. Had wheels. It was just a really, it was, it was a horrible gurney. So where's the money? Where, where's the money to create a, a, a realistic looking cool do- or just get a real dummy? Let's focus on the dummy for a second. So I, I didn't mind the dummy because, frankly, it looks like it was probably very expensive and classic. It, that that wooden head with the eyes that turn and all that stuff. I don't even I don't I've never looked at what the cost of those things is. But I know that the ones, especially with the eyes and that are wood, they're not cheap. no. And I'm not saying that that's where the budget money stuff, that's not what I'm talking about. But that first classic head that looks like that, that is classic. Look at the classic ventriloquist dummy. And I think that they were looking for something that might have looked more aged because it needs to be cursed and it needs to have been around for a while. But so, it had nothing to do with the curse. Right. Well, and I'll go you one better. I don't know that we actually needed to then insert a little person as the dummy. It's something that we actually didn't mention. Mm-hmm. especially inside the goods. But for those that have never seen this episode, what happens when he comes alive, when he does come to life, it's actually now a little person. They literally have hired on a little person inside of a tuxedo that has a lot of makeup on. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly, look, it's a dude that has the same hair shape as the dummy running around with a knife. Right. It, it It's absolutely taking on the Chucky concept of let's shove it either a child actor or a little person mm. into the suit and begin filming. Well, and that's why I <clears throat> would have to assume that the doll, the dummy, was a custom job because it had to be the same proportions as the actor that portrays Oscar at the end of the episode. Yeah. And they were almost identical. And I mean that could have just been movie magic, and and maybe I need to look at it again because because let's let's be honest, the transfer on this for DVD isn't all that great, and I no. would love and we've talked about this before. I would love a Blu-ray transfer yeah. of this show onto a higher quality, yeah. because then we'd be able to see certain things and we yeah. wouldn't have to speculate. Yeah, it, it, the the dummy is definitely dodgy, and I I really do wonder do we need to shove in a little person. And if the answer was there was no way to animate a dummy to run around and stab things and so shove in a little person, if that's the answer, I'll take that as an answer. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, that would be CGI'd. The, well, the, right. The dummy yeah. would come to life and the dummy would be walking around stabbing people with a knife, blah, yeah. whatever. Or if you've got the, the money, you do animatronics. Yeah. Something or something, a combination throughout the entire episode is probably how it would be done mostly anyway. Yeah. And uh, I, I definitely think that would be good. I think that this the the big dummy thing here might be a little bit of nitpicking, because I well I thought you, your complaint is accurate. I just I don't think it deserves an entire negative point, because I thought it was appropriate. I I, I think the the rope a dope of looking at the dummy and going, yep, that looks like something that could have been around a long time and might be cursed. It did look like a cursed dummy. The big ass eyes, the sunken cheekness that they got on it, I I think that that might have been a piece of the rope a dope rather than hey look at our crappy dummy. Well, those are our thoughts on the not so goods, but we want to know what you thought. Could have used a little bit of polish during this episode of Friday the Thirteenth the series. Head on over to our website at curiousgoodspodcast.com, fill out the web form, and let us know. 
Let's take a break here during the Curious Goods podcast, our complete review of Season 2, Episode 8. Read my lips. It's almost time to pay the piper. Shut up, you dummy. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content and they're ready for yours now. Check out editorcore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. Editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and a complete educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, this series, this time Season 2, Episode 8. Read my lips. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to revel in our manifest moments. Our manifest moments are either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside the episode, or something else that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Well, for this episode, Mike, I think my manifest moment has got to be the Nazi subplot. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, it was definitely smack dab right there in one of the goods because it helped out with the rope-a-dope where the episode was concerned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have just been a little side bit of information. So Jack is off trying to track down a bunch of cursed Nazi paraphernalia that has made its way down to Miami. All right, great. That Now we know where Jack is. Bon voyage. Hopefully see you next episode. But it keeps on coming up. So you, you have to start wondering, does this really mean something? And it has to. I mean, one of, one of the rules is you you don't mention something in your storytelling unless you plan on using it. 
And through the episode, you start thinking, well, Hitler didn't have a ventriloquist doll, did he? So I guess it can't be the ventriloquist doll. I mean, with a little, a tiny little ventriloquist doll with a swastika on the side. I mean, come on. It, that just sounds too ridiculous even for this show. <laughs> so then you start wondering, well, maybe it had something to do with the knife. Ooh, okay, the knife, the dagger, the, 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 yeah. dagger, the mm-hmm. tiny little dagger. That, mm-hmm. could, that could make sense. Mm-hmm. Because you and I both know this. Nazis in in storytelling, in, in cinema, and in television, they're all about finding those magical, mystical items. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the whole plot to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. You know, so to to sprinkle a little that a little bit of that into our show here, I I, I love that. So, yeah. not saying I love Nazis. I'm just saying I love the inclusion of having the Nazi menace be yeah. the subplot of the episode and having it yeah be a part of the finale the and nazi the nazi obsession with occulted items mm-hmm. is it's I, everywhere not only is it everywhere it's an easy go back to thing mm-hmm. that i think has worked inside of every single generation since and probably before raiders we just don't know what before before raiders focus was mm. but since then video games movies comic books all of it yeah it, it's it's all got that through thread because again something that evil's easy to latch onto mm-hmm. and begin storytelling elements from so it, i think that that's a wonderful manifest moment inside this episode for me inside of this episode my manifest moment has got to focus on the collective ignorance of everybody with the doll you and I were talking about this, and it might even fall into the suspect script scribblings that we talked about previously. Right, right. But something that no one can deny is that if across a room of people, 45 feet from you, is the case for the wooden ventriloquist dummy, and you guys hear a voice coming from the case, and the guy's having a drink, okay, well, we're just going to ignore that. Right. And that... That can be done inside this episode, and you and I don't even talk about it during the review of the episode, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because it skates right by us. And that it, it, anything that can collectively skate by a general common sense review inside of storytelling is something that's been done with a very deft hand. And whether or not it's recognized, like it is here, is a big question mark. But I'm telling you, Every time that the dummy was talking and Edgar was talking, how exactly is that happening? Right. And well, he's the just answer is, that talented. Right. The answer is shenanigans inside of any True. commonsensical room. But because of the pace of the episode, because of what we're, what we're looking for inside of the, the of course it's a cursed dummy that you start with inside of this episode. Mm, yeah. You're able to just scoot by it, and it, you don't even think about it twice until you're in a review of the show 32 years later. And I, I thought that that was extraordinary and a, an absolute standing up and clapping ovation for this episode. I thought that that was wonderful. That's where we ask you guys, what did you have as your manifest moment inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. Again, that's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Click on the contact form, fill it out, and tell us what you think. This show is made up of words, and it's time to focus on vocabulary. 
The first word inside this episode is... Ventriloquist. Nick and I have already talked about the stories of our own ventriloquism experiences, so I think we shan't bore anyone else with more of that. Unless you'd like us to. Oh, God, please, no. Thanks to our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, Ventriloquist is listed as a performer who projects the voice into a wooden dummy or an entertainer who performs a dramatic or musical work for an audience. Ventriloquist. Very interesting. And a wonderful spelling. That's a really interesting word to just look at. Our second word for this episode is... Paraphernalia. Paraphernalia, again listed by our friends over at visualthesaurus.com, states that paraphernalia is... Equipment consisting of miscellaneous articles needed for a particular operation or sport, etc. Paraphernalia. And of course, inside this episode, we're focusing on paraphernalia of the Nazi Nazi. kind. Yes. (laughs) The good old reading books of everything inside the Curious Goods Shop. Oh, look, evil Nazis of history. (laughs) That's where we ask you guys... What did you guys find that was interesting in regard to vocabulary for this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and tell us what interesting vocabulary you thought of while listening to this episode. Episode rating. Ah, it's time to rate this episode of Friday the 13th, the series season two, episode eight. Read my lips. The scale works thusly. Ten is on top of the scale. A flawless performance with your wooden dummy on stage. A one is on the other side of the scale, where your dummy stabs you in the back. Literally, not so awesome. Everything starts at a seven as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick... There are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? My enjoyment level for this episode, I was looking forward to this. Uh, this is one that escaped me uh, during its original, original airing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, mm-hmm. I do not remember seeing this because I would have gone, oh, hey, Billy Drago, all right. Yeah, I do not remember Billy Drago being in this show. So mm. this was new to me. Yeah. So that was that was fun. That was always a plus. It's always a plus when there's an episode that I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Then add on some excellent acting and a very interesting concept that keeps you guessing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's great Mm -hmm. right there. I love it. Despite our hiccups where the writing is concerned, (laughs) this is like, Oh no, that's okay. We're brilliant over here. We don't have to be brilliant here. (laughs) Brilliant is only 70% of this script. It's okay. It's just television. (laughs) Mike and Nick will give it a 70 to begin with. Okay. Yes. Green light. <laughs> We're already at a seven. It's okay. That's where everything starts. Yeah. No. Oh, man, it's uh, awesome. I feel, I, I, and we've talked, we talked about this before we started the recording of this episode. I feel that a little bit of inspiration might have came from the Anthony Hopkins film Magic. Oh, yeah. From back in 1978, 1979, yeah. something like that. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that too, and for anyone that's curious, that movie it's, scared me shitless. It's it's a it's it a wild does. one. It's it, a wild it still one. does. Even even the posters. Actually, I think it's streaming right now on Shutter. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So if anybody out there that's wow. got Shutter and you want to see some wackadoo ventriloquist stuff, <laughs> oh, take a look yeah. at Magic. 
Magic is fun. No, not so much. Dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Put it put it back in the box. Put it back in the box. (laughs) Yeah, this the pacing was great. The the episode flew by. But again, some of those like real common sense things where storytelling is concerned. Wow, don't don't treat us like we're stupid. Because we don't think this show is stupid. It's cheesy at times. Yeah, because it's an 80s show with a very low budget. Of course it's going to be cheesy. But we don't think this show is stupid. So don't treat your audience like they're stupid when you write dumb stuff like, I haven't seen this person in about a decade, at least a decade, and she wants me to be her maid of honor. Come on. Really? I would have loved to have been able to give this episode a high rating sadly for me it just breaks even and this is a seven Mm. well i can't join you in your mediocre number and your nitpick average is not (laughs) mediocre six would have been mediocre (laughs) i I, I understand even with jumping aboard perhaps a couple of your nitpickings inside of this one i have to i have to go in a completely different route the pacing inside of this was exquisite it, it instantly gets me to the end, and not only do I want more, I want more of the series, not even just more of this particular story. And that is fuel. That That is the fuel that every show, regardless of when it's made, no matter if it's something that is or isn't bound to traditional television, no matter if it's a a feature film, everybody wants you to want more of their stuff. And that's what this episode did for me. It did it from Inception where we get to meet this incredibly successful ventriloquist. Again, you've already got my heartstrings with ventriloquist dummy. You mix in some relationship uh, alterations. You mix in that the dummy can actually somehow interact on its own, so much so and so seamlessly that you and I don't even notice it inside our reviews until we get towards the end of the episode, where I mentioned it as one of the good parts. So I'm, I'm on the other side of this episode, where not only was the believability there, I thought everything else that needs to be inside of a television episode is also there. Stack on top of that, I think, pinnacle acting, especially from Billy Drago inside of this episode. I, I, I think that I think that, that dichotomy of the teeter-totter of look at the loony guy. I thought he played a great loony guy. And then the rest of it where he's this sullen, quiet guy, that's why he failed. And until Oscar is introduced with the infected-slash-cursed boutonniere, he can't succeed, but then does. The problem is that all of the zeal and or interest that Van Horn had is extinguished by Oscar's insatiable appetite for not only death, but the want to be the famous one. All that's tied into this episode, and it's showcased in the span of 43 minutes. I call this a 10. That's where we ask you guys. What did you rate this episode? Season 2, Episode 8. Read my lips. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Nick, another great episode for the Curious Goods Podcast captured. And I'm just... uh, Hey, what's that box over there? Do you hear that? Come on, man. Come on. Let me out of here. Did, did you bring that box in here? Hey. No, I thought you did. I, I thought it was yours. No, it's not mine. You want a better podcast host? Ditch Wilkerson and let me be in on the action. Want fortune and fame? 
I'm your dummy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. Mike on Mike. Very similar to Eddie Murphy's Raw, Mike on Mike. Someone said he was just in a very good movie, which made me very excited. I, I really liked Eddie Murphy when he was funny. So did I. Although I, I don't know why he's partnering with Netflix to make yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 4. If it doesn't have a good writer, it's doomed, just like everything else. We well, you know the pilot for the TV show failed, too. About two or three years ago, there was a t- there was going to be a TV show. Did they cast and it? it w- yeah. Oh, really? yeah. They shot the pilot. Who'd they cast? Uh, it was actually it's called Bev- it was called Beverly Hills Cop, but it was supposed to be about Eddie Murphy's son. Oh wow! He was going to be the main focus. I think Eddie Murphy would have shown up once in a while. Judge Reinhold was going to be the chief of police, so it was Reinhold as your your holdover character. Dealing with, I, I don't know, the Axel Gloria Foley Jr. or, hey, he was great in those movies. Well, the first two movies. As Billy, he's great in those. L- l- let's temper ourselves with the word great. Do you have a problem with Judge Reinhold? <sighs> I guess maybe it's because he crafted his acting craft with <laughs> off in a bathroom. <laughs> I don't know.